0: So for now on, when we're doing the beginning parts, Uh where you put that beginning part before the intro, I think it needs to be staged so that it sounds more clear. Because every time there's that little intro, you can't hear anything. David, it sounds like this. What are
1: you doing here? Why don't you take this bottle and go to bed?
0: Paradiso. Whatever, I tried convincing you and you don't listen, so... Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Cinephile Paradiso. I am your host, Quaid Kirshner, and opposite me is the fairy king himself. No, literally, the fairy king himself, David Charles Collins.
1: I do, I do, I do believe in fairies, I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. I do believe in fairies.
0: I feel like coming to this moment has been a long time coming. We haven't recorded for two weeks because literally straight after we recorded our Halloween episode, I started feeling quite nauseous and then I was up until 7 o'clock in the morning the next day spewing up and shitting everywhere. I had food poisoning and it was absolutely terrible we're still trying to figure out what gave me the food poisoning it was either the leftover hello fresh or the fried calamari from a bolo club that i will leave unnamed
1: because i don't want to name and shame it's true once you left this place i had to have the carpet replaced well thank you quade we're never going to get a sponsorship from hello fresh now but that's all right because i didn't maybe we can get casper mattresses who knows Casper mattresses
0: is that actually a brand yeah Oh, Casper mattresses. Um, no, I wasn't sick at David's house. I got sick at my own. Luckily, I made it home in time because I was driving. And even while I was driving, I was like, "Oh my god!" You're about to the spew bin up. Back down? I did it. I was really brave. I didn't spew up in the car, but as soon as I got home, I was spewing up and other things were happening. What do you do when you panic
1: and you need to shit while you're in the car? Like I didn't need to shit while I was in the car. But what do you do? Because peeing's easy. You're just like, I just need to find something. I just need to wind down the window. No, literally. I just need a, I was going to say Coke bottle, but it's more, I think Gatorade bottles are better for pissing and they got wider mouths. Okay. Anyway, the theme for tonight is fairies. Do the
0: sparkling Tinkle, 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 tinkle. Yeah, so I. When we first drew out. When I first drew out this theme, I was really excited because fairies have had such a big impact in my life, and I'm 100% certain they've had a big impact in your life too, David. What gives you that impression? Well, many years is, of friendship. Is, I feel like I know you by now. the fact
1: that I'm literally sitting next to a book and it's fairies. <laughs> well, yeah, I want you
0: to explain a bit about your personal relationship with fairies and how they have shaped the man you are today.
1: The man I am today. I think that I, I was very lucky growing up. It was always encouraged as a little kid to have a, a sense of imagination. And I grew up around nature. And I think that a lot of people that have that relationship to nature and the wonder of the belief that maybe there's a community of little magical people living amongst the trees and there's an animism involved in it. You have this idea that there's a spirituality connecting all of this nature to you in this sort of intelligent way. I don't know, I think I have three sisters, so we went to lots of fairy parties as kids. So you dressed up as a fairy? Well, my mum, who is this amazing creative herself, very good with an overlocker as well, would always make these incredible costumes and uh, my sisters would usually have like these beautiful tutu and fairy wings and I had a pair of wings that I really liked myself but I remember for one of them my mum made me um, like a little elf costume that had you know the collar with the pointy bits and little baubles on the end of it and then I had these pointy little ears and a little pointy hat I was in love with it I was absolutely in love with it Do you still have it? I don't still have it. Um, That's a shame. But as you know, knowing me, I have variations of it. I've got fake ears and I've got all sorts of doodads and costumes and bits and pieces.
0: Yeah, because you do like oh, to put I, on of the... Of course ears.
1: you know that. I dressed you up as a fairy, like, not two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I think it's a favourite pastime of yours. You love to put on the pointy fairy ears and run around the streets of Petersham naked. Screaming. <laughs> Screaming. <laughs> They're like, where are the fairies? The fairies. Yeah, no, I also dressed up as a fairy. I remember it was for a friend's funeral. For a funeral? No, it was for their seventh. Was it the seventh birthday party or eighth? I'm going to go with eighth. It was definitely, yeah, an eighth birthday party. And it was really cute. It was, I was wearing these dark green, um, like shirt and pants, but they also were cut out. So they had the pointed bits on the collars. And I had this Reef of like leaves on my head, and I had these beautiful like fairy fairy wings, which my mother had like spray painted gold.
1: Your mum's also quite talented. She's very creative, yeah. very very creative, and she has a background as a ballet dancer. And you know, you've got Giselle and also and the Nutcracker and all sorts of things. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky costumes. because
0: both of my parents are very creative. Like when um, they first moved to Perth in Australia from South Africa, they didn't have they didn't South Africa they didn't have much money. So what they did for Christmas was that they obviously bought the Christmas tree but all the decorations they created themselves. Amazing. So they had, they got these acorns from the park and spray painted them. Where were they living? Acorns? Wait, no, no, sorry, not acorns. What are the Australian? <laughs> gum um, nuts. What's wrong with you? Gum nuts, yes, the small ones. They did do gum nuts. They yeah. spray painted them gold. Anxious? Yeah, and they have that little, like this. I think he, he's he's motioning with his hands, everyone. Bankshers, I think. Yeah, was, Bankshas, yeah, Yeah, And they got that and spray-painted those gold. Yeah. Even light bulbs. They got light bulbs and spray-painted those That's gold. That's very
1: clever. That would look like some sort of fantastic Michelle Gondry-style Christmas tree. Yeah, it was lovely. And they made the angel... Yeah, it was beautiful. Anyway, our point.
0: What were we talking about? Yes, how fairies have impacted our lives. And you also know quite a bit of deep mythology
1: into the realm of fairies. Absolutely. I really enjoy uh, Celtic and Welsh mythology. And I think that where the origins of what we know as fairies today come from those stories even though I think that you know where the idea of fairies have come from have changed over time because you look at places like Iceland where they actually have a huge amount of respect for the little folk or the hilde folk where you you they change the path of roads or buildings and things to not interrupt sacred fairy mounds that they understand to have significant meaning they'll leave them offerings they take it very seriously there um, and same thing in certain parts of in Ireland there are trees fairy trees that they won't cut down to put in roads because they believe that there'll be accidents and bad things will happen to you so these traditions and respect for you know the people that live in in the hills it does continue to this day and i yeah i find that very enchanting (laughs) i think one of my favorite
0: fairy memories of my life is when i was about five no i'm gonna go seven years old my uncle at the time was dating a fairy Yes. Well, no, literally, um, I won't name names just to respect privacy. The lady that he was dating, she was obsessed with fairies. And when I mean obsessed, I mean obsessed. She'd dress up as a fairy all the time, even just for fun, not even at parties. Who was this woman? Oh, your
1: uncle was dating her. Yeah.
0: And, um, she had all these fairy books, these fairy stickers, these fairy dolls, like her whole room, was fairy themed. It was insane. And so I, being only like seven years old, I believed she was a fairy because she would show me photos of her dressed up as a fairy and I took such a liking to her. And she introduced me to a film that to this day, I still always, always remembered. And I hadn't seen it since I was seven years what's old. the film? And I watched it for the first time last week when I was having food poisoning. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. So and what's the, the film? The film was what I was going to pick for tonight, but but I didn't end up picking it because you saw the trailer and you refused uh. was The Magical Legend of the Leprechauns and it was a three hour Hallmark film. I mean, it was split into two films, one and a half hour each. And yeah, it was really, it was really lovely vis- revisiting that film because all these memories came flooding back. But what I do want to say is I would like to apologize to my uncle because back in the day um, my cousin Shay and I, we actually went into our uncle's girlfriend's room and we stole her fairy stickers. Oh my God. Yeah, and well, imagine, it caused, you
1: imagine if she was a real fairy? She would have cursed the shit out of you. Exactly and it ended up causing... That's why you got diarrhea.
0: Yeah and it ended up causing diarrhea. a major fight between my uncle and her and it ended up being the catalyst for the end of their relationship. Uh, so my cousin Shay and I, we are to blame for the end of my uncle's relationship so I'm really sorry Uncle Daryl if you can hear this. He's feel, probably not listening. I feel I like
1: there was already friction there if the sticker book of fairies was the thing that brought it down. Also yeah. she bought that, I feel like she brought that energy into the place, the trickster spirit, going in there, stealing things, moving things around, that were you and your cousin, she evoked that by constantly having the fairy mythos around her. Yeah, but I do. I'd love to see her again, and see what she's doing. I it's wonder been, if she's doing well. I wonder if she's doing
0: well. Maybe, yeah, maybe she's dressing up as a fairy at kids' parties. Living in a mushroom. But living in a mushroom. Or a toad steel. Or taking mushrooms. Um, <laughs> For luck. Yeah, so should we begin with the films that we were going to maybe talk about tonight absolutely
1: let's get into it
0: i'm look i'm a bit sad because i feel like there were so many good movies but funnily enough not enough for fairies being such a big part of pop culture and mythological lore. i was really surprised there weren't more fairy movies As or movies about
1: to the,
0: uh, yeah. yeah like it was insane so we were looking at pan's labyrinth
1: also the labyrinth the labyrinth yep. thank you I feel like the Dark Crystal also fits in there. There's the, I can't remember the name of the movie. But Thumbelina. The one, the one about the Coddington sisters that took the photos yes, of the fairies. I kind of wish we did that one. So it's oh, called it's a, bit of a, a, fa- a Fairy Tale, That's A True Story. That's what it's called. And it is a true story. It's about the two sisters that uh, were taking photos of uh, cardboard cutouts of fairies. And from their picture books. From their picture books and convinced a populace that they had been taking photos of real fairies. I think Houdini ended up examining them to try and debunk them, but a heap of people were actually convinced that uh, these little girls had been taking photos of fairies i remember hearing my mom told me about that when i was a kid and i was enchanted by the idea i was like oh my goodness there's photos of fairies out there Seen the photos didn't take much back then to fool people <laughs> <laughs>
0: and there was also the 1950s disney peter pan film there was also the peter disney Wong. sleeping beauty film oh that's true with the f- three fairies well, also that, fantasia and maleficent as well
1: if you're gonna go down yeah. that yeah
0: and then fantasia had that fairy sequence yep and what else? What other fairy movies?
1: There is, as you mentioned as well, what is it, The Legend of the The Lepre-
0: Magical Legend of the Leprechaun,
1: Which I don't, which is, I feel like we can still jump into that at some point if you want. Because I think <laughs> that that's meant to be an act, like it, it's a very obvious metaphor for... I mean, it's Romeo and Juliet, but with fairies and leprechauns. Well, it's Catholics and Protestants in Ireland. Oh, I mean, they do talk about that in the film.
0: And Whoopi Goldberg plays the Banshee. Oh, well, she's cancelled yeah. right now, but... We, oh, no, she's in free no, she's speech back on the, she's jail. Back she's in on the free view. speech
1: jail, but she can come out when she's done her time.
0: And if any of our listeners have seen The Magical Legend of the Leprechauns, please reach out to me on Quaid Kirshner on Instagram, because I would love to talk to you and discuss it, because not many people have seen it.
1: Anyway, so which movies have strange. we decided to do?
0: Can we do mine first? I would love to do yours because first. Because I'm really, really excited to hear what you have to say, because you've never seen this movie before. I have not
1: seen this movie. So, m- I... Well, I
0: mean, I have now, but I had not seen this I'm movie. I'm so excited to see what you think. Quaid, what did you pick? I picked Peter Pan, which was released in 2003. Tell me about it. So, from the director of Muriel's Wedding. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I didn't
1: fucking know that. Yeah, PJ Hogan.
0: This film was, it was filmed in Queensland. Oh my god, that's in the why there was Coast. an
1: ABBA soundtrack. The
0: whole, f- <laughs> there is no ABBA soundtrack <laughs> in Peter Pan 2003. Peter Pan is set in the early 1900s in London. The film focuses on the Darling family, which is made up of Mr. and Mrs. Darling, their three children, Wendy, John and Michael, and their dog, Nana. Mm. Yes. Anyway, one night when Wendy is telling her brothers all these fairy tales that she imagines in her mind, which really entertain her siblings, Peter Pan comes because he's always listening to Wendy's stories and one night he loses his shadow. David, why are you laughing at
1: me? I'm not. I'm Am I so, not making sense? No, I'm, I'm following. It's actually, I'm reimagining it. It's, it's very It's very charming and funny when he loses his shadow. I'm just giggling at the memory. Carry on. Yeah, so, so
0: he's quite frustrated, but Wendy ends up helping him reconnect his shadow to him by sewing it on his foot. And from there, they... I guess, establish a friendship, it's weird because she's not that amazed that he's there or the fact that he can fly. So I assume that she knows about him through whispers or word of
1: mouth or maybe th- she, always,
0: because she always she had maybe a little feeling that he was there also listening I to the stories that
1: she was telling John and Michael. I think it's because she's on that, like, that precipice of still being a child. And when you're a child, you believe in magic. You believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. So when there's a magical boy fly through your window, you're, you're like, oh, that's cool but you're not like i didn't believe in this
0: exactly and then the darling siblings decide to go on an adventure with peter pan and his little fairy tinkerbell and they all fly to neverland together together and face danger against the evil captain hook who holds a grudge against peter pan because he had chopped off his right hand in the past
1: and fed it to a crocodile i think and I, fed it to the crocodile I I understand yeah understand why he has a grudge
0: Well, yes, exactly. I also forgot to mention that Wendy, John, and Michael, they're going through quite a turbulent time in their family household because their father, Mr. Darling, he is very concerned about, I guess, outward appearance, and he wants to impress all the other gentlemen in his um, workplace. He works at a bank. He
1: does, he does, like Mr. Banks. I feel like there's a lot of pressure from
0: the auntie. Oh, yeah, so the auntie was actually created for the film. She wasn't in the original story by J.M. Barrie, and the auntie is... Who is the auntie is supposed to be? Um Lynn Redgrave plays Aunt Millicent, And, yeah, she's the aunt of the three darling children. And she also eggs the father on a bit because the aunt says that Wendy's getting older now and she shouldn't be sharing a room with um, John and Michael, so she should have her own room as she's growing into a lady. And she's putting in, putting on all these pressures and saying to, you know, Mr. Darling that he needs to be more proper. Well, the family needs to be more proper
1: and they need to be seen as more serious
0: and upper class
1: to be taken... Can I say something about that very quickly? Yeah. I don't want to interrupt you. I don't think she's wrong. Wendy is just reached an age where she's clearly going through puberty. You've got to remember, when this story was based, there was no such thing as being, quote-unquote, a teenager. You were a child and then you were an adult. There was no adolescence. You suddenly went from being a kid that had a nanny and all the rest of it to suddenly you were a young woman. And this story was about that line between adulthood and childhood. And I also think there is an appropriate point in a child's life, especially a young woman's, where they probably shouldn't share a bedroom when they're two younger brothers, maybe, when they start getting pubes. You see... Oh, She starts to become a little bit flustered and awakened to the fact that there might be exciting things about growing up. The whole point is she wants to chase the secret kiss that her mother gets to have with her dad, but she's like, oh, maybe one day I'll meet a man who will be mine to kiss. And the whole dialogue with Peter Pan, who he, does, he doesn't even know what a kiss is because he's stuck in that infantilized state. Whereas she's like, oh, maybe, maybe him and I could go for a drink sometime.
0: In terms of the kiss, so Wendy's mother, Mrs. Darling, she discovers that her mother has this kiss which is on the, is it the left-hand bottom side of her lips?
1: I think it's very much a metaphor.
0: Yeah, but it's a metaphor for, like, the hidden kiss.
1: Yeah, the hidden kiss.
0: Exactly. Anyway, so Wendy, John and Michael, they go to Neverland with Peter and they are constantly in danger because Captain Hook is trying to kill Peter Pan and it's pretty much about their adventures or misadventures, I dare say, in Neverland. And what I do love about this film is I feel like it's the first Peter Pan film to really explore the title characters going through the initial stages of puberty and exploring that. Hmm.
1: Do you agree? Absolutely. I think it's interesting watching this movie because the first half of the movie is the story of Peter Pan as we know it traditionally. And then the second half really unpacks it a little bit more without deviating too far from it. It doesn't go, we're going to flip this on its head and make it contemporary. It just goes, we're going to unpack this a bit more to really explore how this symbolically represents the themes. Because the book and the play, which it was, was always about the adventure of other things in life, the adventures of death, the adventures of love, the adventures of becoming an adult, but then also that fear of losing your innocence and magic of being a child. It was always about that. But I I think that this was made in a way where it was slightly more accessible for a contemporary audience, not viewing it through the turn of the century lens that the original audience would have seen it through. Well, I don't also know how much I should explain to the listeners because I feel like
0: everyone knows the story of Peter Pan, but also the history of Peter Pan, well, his origin story, I should say is Peter Pan, he was found by Tinkerbell. Is that correct? He was found by Tinkerbell when he was a baby and then Tinkerbell took him to Neverland.
1: Which park was it? The one in uh, London. Kensington? Kensington Kensington Gardens, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Peter Pan, Peter Plan. There's a a beautiful statue of Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens.
0: Have you seen it? Yes. Oh, so Peter Pan is played by the one and only Jeremy Sumter. And I love this because I know a lot of gay men that tell me that when they were children and they saw this film for the first time, Jeremy Sumter as Peter Pan was a gay awakening. Can I say something
1: that I think is a symptom of 2003? Mm. Peter Pan has a Karen haircut. Oh. He's got the sort of like messy curl going on with the blonde highlight. And I kept finding, like that kept hitting
0: I looked at it more as an Aussie surfy look. But now that you've said Karen, I don't know if I can unsee that. But Jeremy Sumter, he was perfect for the role. He had the most gorgeous, devilish smile. And he he had this boyish charm about him that wasn't... I mean, he's only a child, so I don't want to say like... I don't want to talk about toxic masculinity but it didn't feel toxic can it I, was it had also beautiful vulnerability well, in it
1: can 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 I add on that as to why I thought he was good for the role but then also like I've never done anything like this in my life, so I have a criticism, but it's not like a massive criticism. I understand why they picked him, because he had the physicality for Peter Pan in the sense that he had that puck from Midsummer Night's Dream, physicality where he sort of was sprightly the way he moved around, he was very athletic, he was spent most of it flying and sword fighting, he was uh, brave and boyish and all the things he needed to be. When watching this, I wondered if it was shot in sequence because I felt like he was learning to act using his voice and use language as the movie went on. The first scene where he was speaking, it felt very jarring to me because I felt like he didn't understand the language that he was using. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlike Wendy's character, you can tell like, oh, she must have theater training or something. She knows how to deliver those lines. But then I felt him warm into the character more as he went. Then I read in the trivia, it was actually shot in order. So I felt like that made sense. What he lost in the lines Delivery. I felt like he definitely gained in his presence and physicality, and and chemistry with the other actors. I thought all the actors across the
0: board were brilliant. Like I also just want to mention Olivia William Williams,
1: who plays Mrs. Darling. She is gorgeous. I'm sorry, she, she's beautiful, but she's like. Oh, a but Portland she's so beautiful. Spends the whole time sighing and looking out a window. Oh, there's but she's much, so beautiful. There's not dude. much to her character. Honestly,
0: I was watching this, being like, why am I gay? <laughs> she is. Dunning. She's Olivia Williams. I, I just, oh my I, God, Olivia Williams, if you're hearing me right now, I love you in Peter Pan 2003. I think I, I, I you are stunning. You are
1: beautiful. I want to say that maybe the parents were intentionally left quite blank in the way that children don't understand the depth of their parents because they were very 2D caricatures. They were just, you know, she literally spent the whole time sighing and being like, oh, I'm a mother.
0: Like but you do fine. know that the same actor, Jason Isaacs, who played Mr. Darling was also Hook. Yes, and that's, okay, that's God. That's
1: a tradition that was in the stage play as well. And I feel like you that, mentioned that. that ties into the theme of Peter Pan's ultimate nemesis is Captain Hook, who is the representation of, of parents, of parents, 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 fathers, yeah. fatherhood, adulthood. It's so funny that Peter and Wendy seem to be resisting the idea of becoming parental figures, but then they immediately become, oh, I'm mum and I'm dad. They to the Lost Boys. Exactly. They have to step in and inhabit those roles. And I just want to do a
0: shout out to one of the actors that played one of the Lost Boys. Do you know who I'm going to mention? No. Because he's doing a lot of big things now. James Corden. No, <laughs> George McKay, who played Curly. Do you know who George McKay is? No. He was in Captain Fantastic and, more recently, 1917.
1: I really enjoyed The Lost Boys. I liked this Lord of the Flies. Oh, as in, in terms of costuming? Like, yeah, the costuming, the dynamic. I did think it was a bit of a cop-out at the end how The Lost Boys came back and were adopted, because The Lost Boys were meant to be a metaphor for the children that were lost during the First World War that would never grow up to be men. In a novel by Jane Barry, The Lost Boys do go back to London. Oh, do they really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a nice ending that never would have happened I should actually talk about quite. oh my goodness I should talk
0: about the three facts before we
1: uh, start unpacking yeah, so, no, yeah, so,
0: with Jeremy Sumter apparently during filming he went from five feet tall to oh, yeah. five eight isn't <laughs> I mean, that insane I guess that's and what then, happens
1: when you work with kids the
0: window of the nursery had to be rebuilt four times because the actor kept hitting his head on it
1: that makes sense because didn't the movie go four months over scheduling and I guess it's because it they did. need to keep rebuilding it, windows so, <laughs>
0: filming went for a year my and God. it went very over budget and both Rachel Hurdwood, who plays Wendy, and Jeremy Sumter had to be hospitalized at different points in filming due to injury and exhaustion.
1: This film does have a few things in it that I think that I think are relatively harmless, but you definitely couldn't do today. The fact that we saw two naked boys' bottoms at one point, I'm like, probably wouldn't wouldn't film that these days. Oh mm, I don't know if I agree. Okay. I don't know, I think I've seen something like that. I don't know what films you were directed <laughs> to watching. That.
0: No, but I feel like yeah, anyway. And also with the exception of the Soviet version, the Peter Pan in nineteen eighty seven, this is the first live action adaption can, of Jay and Barry's story for to can I feature
1: guess What? That is it the first time a boy's played Peter Pan? Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Because I know in the play it was like they'd usually get like a- Always female females. Obviously, in
0: the 1950s Disney animated film, that was voiced by Bobby Driscoll, but we're talking about live action in terms
1: of Now there's a reference to Bobby Driscoll in this movie.
0: I know. But I
1: don't know oh but I don't know
0: if we should talk about Bobby Driscoll because I feel like that's a whole other segue. It's, it's
1: another thing, but I do think it's relevant because so much of this film is about the fetishization of youth and how it's makes it yes. scared to grow of- up and, and how awkward it is to in those years of transition transition to become an adult and I think unfortunately his story very much represents that because yeah
0: yeah if anyone feels like a really sad night go
1: yeah Wikipedia Bobby Driscoll and just cry there was a little cinephile Paradiso easter egg in this movie really what I'm talking about no I don't do you listen to our podcast? I do listen to our podcast. You know the intro of our podcast? Yeah. I included a clip of something called the Wilhelm Scream. It's a very famous scream that's become a bit of an icon in film. It's a scream that's fair use that they put in movies. You'd know it if you heard it. But because okay. it's such an icon, I included it in our intro. It's the scream. That scream, they use the Wilhelm Scream when one of the pirates gets shot and yeah. falls into the water. So oh, okay. Wow. A little
0: reference, to a little reference there. So yeah. this film is actually dedicated to Dodi Al fayed who was. Will- Was the executive producer? Wait,
1: sorry. You mean Princess Diana's? Yes. 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 Now let me. Yes. Now let me finish.
0: So it's dedicated to him because he was the executive producer on the 1991 film Hook. Oh shit. And Al Fayed planned to produce a live-action version of Peter Pan and shared his ideas with Diana, who was at the time also the president of the Great Ormond St. Hospital. She said she could not wait to see the production once it was underway. And then obviously Al Fayed's father, Mohammed Al Fayed, co-produced the 2003 adaptation of the tale after his son died in the car crash, which Uh, also killed Diana.
1: The car crash that the Queen of England orchestrated to assassinate them both. So for
0: people that don't know anything about Peter Pan, the whole concept is he is the boy that never grows up. And it's by choice that he never wants to grow up because he stays in Neverland.
1: Have you you ever dated a Peter Pan?
0: I think everyone- I think we know lots of Peter Pan. Yes, I think we all have a different perspective of
1: what it means to grow up or what it means to not grow up. Peter Pan literally says that he can't fall in love with Wendy. Can we get... Yeah. No, because. Because he... It's
0: associated with more complex feelings that adults feel. So
1: he wants to remain a boy child forever, enjoying the make-believe games of a child instead of taking on responsibilities and growing up. Now that you mentioned that,
0: I'm just going to go straight to my point. The most beautiful, heart-wrenching scene in the entire film and probably, for me, one of the best film scenes of all time. Alright,
1: calm down. No, I... What scene was it?
0: The whole thing that we're explaining right now, there's, so Wendy and Peter, they go into the forest and Peter shows Wendy this tree and they go look into this tree and what's happening is it's a ballroom scene amongst all these fairies Did and then know? all of a sudden these fairies leave the tree and they start to swirl around Peter and Wendy and they're both hovering into the air and it's the night sky behind them. And it it gets quite intimate. You can feel a bit of, I guess, not sexual tension because it is it's innocent. You can say chemistry. Yeah, there's a lot of chemistry. And then Wendy starts to, I guess, not not interrogate, but she starts to bring up the subject of feelings and she-says
1: this is all make-believe, isn't it? We're just doing a game. This is just another game like fighting pirates or talking to mermaids. We're just pretending to be the ballroom couple that have feelings, but you know you don't really feel this, do you? And then well, and then she
0: says, Do you feel love? And then that's when the whole scene, I guess, falls apart because people. Peter says, No, I don't know what that is. And Wendy says to Peter, No, I think you do, Peter. You can see that inner conflict and turmoil within Peter because he doesn't want to acknowledge these complicated feelings because he does associate that with growing up. And so I just feel like it was very devastating because he refuses to admit his love. So he's a fuckboy. No, and I just, I don't know, I got really sad because on, on one point. He's a fuckboy. Uh, no, on one side it's really beautiful that he wants to set a child, but on another he's side. Is beautiful it's, though? Well, no, and see, that's what I want to say. This movie, well, well, that's the thing. That's why I love this film so much because without trying too hard, it already, like, all the underlining darkness and twisted nature of the story, it just seeps through the cracks. And it's, like you said, something really eerie about always wanting to stay young. And I think I also want to talk about the internal struggle that Peter and Wendy, well, not even a struggle, it's the tension between them because deep down, I think that Peter knows how the story is going to end. He knows at the end, that Wendy is going to leave, and Wendy is going to grow up, but he's always in denial about that, whereas throughout the entire film, you can see Wendy, she's struggling, because at one point she thinks she's done the right thing going to Neverland and on the other hand she's thinking well this also goes against my dreams of the
1: future of I do want to grow up one day and experience well, it. Well also I think that thing where she's doing you know as children we play grown up games as in I'm a fireman today I'm baking like mum does I'm you know doing all of it. I mean that was very sexist of me say baking mum. Dad bakes too but you know what I mean I'm using that as an example because she says what do mothers do they give you medicine and she gets the medicine she's playing mum in anticipation to being mum or doing something growing up and then she finds herself, am I just going to be perpetually in this limbo where I'm imitating something that I could grow into? And I think that she does get excited about, I mean, not just The idea of romance but the possibilities of a future the ideas of adventure of autonomy of all those things that yes she might sacrifice the childish intimacy you have with your siblings but through that she'll gain independence and all these new avenues line up one of my favorite lines from it is where peter says death what an adventure that would be thank you for mentioning that that's such a good quote oh because it is that thing of the unknown you can fear it or you can go well, I can't resist, I can't fight it, it's inevitable, but what an adventure it might be. Who knows what's around the corner? And I think that... And it's strange ideas- that he accepts
0: death, but he won't accept growing up. I just had that thought come into my mind now. What? he'd rather
1: die than grow up, I think. Wow, that's... Whew, that's... That's... For me, the movie is about Wendy, which the book is about Wendy, but Peter Pan is a character that you're meant to be rooting for, but he's actually quite a grey character. I would not call him a good guy, I wouldn't call him a bad guy, but I would call him a self motivated person, and you can see that in the fact, in the way that he affects all of the people around him and the relationships around him and the landscape around him how it changes the weather and the seasons the fact that he tried to lock the window to the darling house so that Wendy could never the he home. did try to he's, lock he's the window to the darling house, house. that's true again. that's why I relate it back to you know the idea of the Peter Pan fuckboy who is like I love you so much but then we'll sabotage your life to try and stop you from leaving them instead of going if leaving me is the thing that is going to help you flourish in life I may miss you but I love you and I want what's best for you instead of having the maturity to be able to do that he goes I'm going to Put obstacles in your way so you can only stay with me.
0: And it's really sweet because Jeremy Sumter, still to this day, he is so proud of Peter Pan. And I feel bad because we're not really giving much attention to Tinkerbell. So, Tinkerbell is played by Ludovine Sagnier. I'm sorry if I have said that wrong. Anyway, apparently, initially, Tinkerbell was going to be CGI Thank the whole time. God she wasn't. But then, they loved this actress's expressions and involved. acting so much. So, they didn't go the CGI route, which I think is a really good thing. Because- Do you know
1: who I thought she was before I read who it was in the hmm. credits? Miley Cyrus. Oh my God, it looked like no. Hannah, it looked like Hannah Montana.
0: How dare you say that? Tinkerbell, I think... I was too jealous. Too envious Wendy. No, 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 she's Wendy. meant to be. She's meant to be. That's I mean, she
1: tried point. to kill poor Wendy but, by but, tricking but... the Lost Boys into shooting her down. Oh, that's hunting the Wendy Bird. Hunting the Wendy Bird. I, Wendy that. Bird. I love that bit. Um, no, I mean, she's meant to be jealous. It's a bit like anti-Jiminy Cricket. It's part of the cycle whispering in your ear, driving you jealousy and things like that. Um... I think that maybe they modelled her a little bit too closely off the original Disney one. I mean her it, dress is green. Well, but also I think the hair just reminded me a bit of uh, It was a bit too
0: cosplay. I understand the, they needed the hair, it like the that hair as well. definitely wasn't nineteen fifties Disney, but I understand it,
1: they needed it to be up and relatively controlled so that they could animate her moving around without having to take into account the gravity of her hair. So I understand to an extent that's a practical thing. Yeah, I don't know. So what was your favourite thing about the film? I liked how charming it was. Like, it, despite the bits that I found jarring about this movie, the chemistry was great. I think that yeah. Wendy, what an unsung hero. She was a great performer in this. She yeah, was. Yeah, Rachel Hurd Wood. Oh, so good. Pete, Peter was good as well. Not as good as Wendy, but he, I bought it and I liked the chemistry between them and he played that lovable but also kind of an asshole character very well hook was good as well because i thought he was fabulous he was fabulous because he's
0: a jason isaacs well well he
1: was a villain that you all were so slightly seduced by like god you're the worst but also you're like so are you saying (laughs) are you saying david that you would
0: get into bed with Captain James Hook.
1: I mean, look, we'd have to uh, be careful which extension he was wearing at the time. Just with no Smee extent, on I mean, the
0: side watching. No, not
1: with Smee. Smee! Um, <laughs> but no, I just thought the whole thing was very charming. I didn't find the parents that charming. I found them a bit annoying. I loved, I, I, that I loved makes the, That makes the, me really
0: sad because Olivia Williams, if you were listening,
1: you are beautiful. Oh, she, you she are she's stunning. Beautiful. She's beautiful. And she did a lot with what she was given, which was not much. It's just like... But be, they didn't need it. That wasn't their story, David. I, uh, no, what did no, you no, expect no, from it? No, and no, I think... No,
0: no. That, I don't know if I agree because there is a scene where uh, the mother, Mrs. Darling, is sitting with her children, and the children are begging her not to go... To the party. Go to, yeah, they're begging her not to go to the party. She says, hey, but I need to because I want to support your father. And then the children despise their father, her? and they yeah. say, oh, we don't like father. And then the mother says, no, he's actually a very brave man. Oh, I'm and sorry, she, but that just, almost no, destroyed Stop, stop, me. stop, stop. But uh, the story she talks about, I thought had a lot of deep meaning. So, she talks about how the father has this box, and it's full of his dreams. Drawer. and A drawer? Okay, the father opens the drawer, and in the drawer, he puts his dreams in there and some nights they open that drawer and look at those dreams together and each night it gets harder and harder to close those drawers.
1: So, Quaid that was so touching and so moving and um, so then what was bad about it? a little it? bit too close to home as well like the, the fact that she's essentially saying your dad's very brave and part of bravery and I think this is very... part of bravery is making sacrifices well, no, and putting on said. a brave face she, she said, being yeah. she said one of the bravest things to do is to put other people's needs before your own which Peter doesn't but dad but the dad does he put the his dreams as, well no she literally says he put his dreams aside so he could support you, you I mean he also us. did
0: decide to have three children and that was his choice he didn't I mean, have to do that he, he could have like, been like, a bachelor Prophylactics like, weren't
1: a thing back then.
0: Um, so. Yeah, then they use sheep guts. <laughs>
1: How <laughs> romantic. And what didn't you like about the film? I didn't like. Gosh, that's hard because I actually don't want to shit on this film. Oh, no. uh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. But. Um, I did, yeah, I found that parts of it were a little bit twee, but again, that's because it's a movie that is targeted to a younger audience that needs certain elements to be accessible and funny. Like, there were lots of jokes in there that were clearly for kids, and I'm like, yeah, David, let the kids have a laugh. Like, you don't, not everything needs to be for you, David. Um, so... So, yeah, I didn't actually... I don't want to hate on this film. I guess my least favourite thing, Mm. probably the soundtrack, just because... Jesus, I love the soundtrack. I think that's that's one of the strongest that's fine. Uh, But but I think
0: the CGI is worse than the soundtrack.
1: Well, yes, this is the thing, but this is also something I feel like is going to come up in the next movie we talk about. We need to keep in mind when this movie was made. Of course. So it's like, okay, cool, we can shit on the CGI, but we're going to be doing the same thing about Avatar in 20 years, where the movies are getting beamed straight into our heads, and we're like, oh, we can't believe we thought that was groundbreaking. So I, I don't want to... Even though, obviously the CGI has aged. Of course it has and I really love practical effects. That said, this film uses a lot of practical effects.
0: I feel really bad that we haven't even mentioned the most contagious scene of the film and that's when Tinkerbell dies and Peter Pan is completely beside himself and he starts saying, I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. And then, Everyone around the world, well, everyone in Neverland and everyone in London London. (laughs) (laughs) say that they all also believe in fairies. And it's, like I said, a very contagious scene and it makes you want to say it. And it's stuck in your head. I I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. It's
1: very sweet. And it also, I think it's going to tie into the next film as well. It's the idea that belief can bring magic into the world. And that's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And who did you empathize with the most? Uh, look, I think that. God, who did I empathize with the most? There was an element of empathizing with Hook because, um, I think. <laughs> You're like, because Peter was a little shit. Well, kind of. He's a pirate who exists in this world as a pirate and a pirate ship. It's a fantasy land where everyone serves their role. Peter shows up, cuts his hand off. You don't know what the fuck is going on, why it's provoked, and throws it to a crocodile. It's like, hang on. I think I would have a bit of a vendetta against the person that cut off my hand. And, and Hook
0: has a phobia towards crocodiles. Is that a thing? Is there a, a word for a phobia? But... I think crocodiles. that's being
1: sensible because crocodiles are fucking terrifying. Well, if you're not yeah, spoken, what's, what's the phobia called though? Because I know spiders, it's arachnophobia, so what would- a crocodile. Being. I don't know if you need a word for it. If the animal should only inspire, I guess. Also, a phobia by definition is an irrational fear. I don't think it's irrational to be scared of crocodiles,
0: but it's irrational to be scared of spiders. So, what would you give it out of five stars? Mm. I would give
1: it. Oh, here we go. I would give it three point seven.
0: Well, yeah, I, I'm. I'm the same. I'd give it a three point seven five. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do a duel this film, and I do like to re-watch it every... I, once in a blue moon, I like to watch yeah, I was going to gonna say, it. I don't
1: yeah. know if I'll be rushing back to it, but I'm very glad I watched it. I will buy this eventually on Blu-ray, because I feel like <laughs> it needs to be part of my Blu-ray collection. <laughs> Take it away, David, for our next film. The film I chose was 1998's Merlin, directed by Steve Barron. So... This movie is a two-part Hallmark movie that was on TV. I remember watching it. I was at my grandmother's in Albany, and it was so excited. We taped it on VHS, and I watched it over the two nights that it was being shown, and I think I burnt those tapes out re-watching it, and I have the DVD of this. Quaid is pulling a face at me. So the Well, I feel bad because the synopsis for this wouldn't really be
0: easy to explain because it's a three-hour movie about the whole lifespan of Merlin. Well, okay. So how do you like so, briefly so, okay, summarize can I, that? Can I have a go?
1: So, the movie is meant to be examining the canon of Arthurian legend, but instead of doing it from the point of view of Arthur, it does it from the point of view of Merlin the Wizard, played by Sam Neill. So, that's not normally the way that this legend goes. The movie starts at the point where the first Christian king of Britain is introduced. Being threatened uh, by this introduction of a new faith and new traditions and new ways, Queen Mab, played by Miranda Richardson, who is the queen of the fairies, but also the queen of the old ways, the queen of the old gods, realizes that her people and her people being the other gods, the other fairies, the other things that she looks over... The gnomes. (laughs) The gnomes are dying because when people stop believing in them, much like in Peter Peter Pan, they stop existing. So she needs to save her ways and she needs to do that by bringing a hero into the world. She introduces a powerful man who has no mortal father... Merlin the wizard. A woman gives birth to Merlin with no father. Merlin's mum passes away while giving birth to him and is raised by his aunt Ambrosia. As a teenager he awakens his magic by saving the beautiful Lady Nimue from a swamp that she falls into and as she gets sucked into the quicksand he grabs a stick that's not long enough but through willing it to grow longer he does, saving her. Through using his magic he runs home to tell Auntie Ambrosia of what happened but she's not happy for it. She panics because she's aware that this magic within him means that Queen Mab will soon be retrieving him to teach him magic so that he can fight the Christian kingdoms that are coming in and invading the land. Because Queen Mab had made a deal with Ambrosia, saying you can
0: keep the child because you're pro- proclaiming that you can show the child love, and then when he's old enough, I'm
1: going to take him to teach him the ways to be the savior of magic. Summoned by Queen Mab to the fairy kingdom where she rules over, by a first a beautiful horse and then takes to a lake by a magical boat, met by Frick. Her gnome assistants, played by Martin Short, who I feel like they just said ad-lib some characters and will animate it in here. He does a few that are a little bit problematic racially. Time yeah, on. there is a Yeah, yeah, there was a moment that I was like, was that necessary? He's taught that he needs to bring the people back to the old ways by essentially evangelising to them and through his use of magic. He is told that he will be the most powerful magician in the world. However, he's clearly just not that into it. One day, He's not into magic. He's not into it. One day, the Lady of the Lake shows up, who is Queen Mab's sister, also played by Miranda Richardson. So again, we have, much like Peter Pan, one actor playing two different facets of a character symbolically, shows up and very bitchily manages to slip going, oh, I don't like how Queen Mab let your mum die like that. Biological biological mother die like that. And he's like... She let my mum die and it's like, oops, I shouldn't have said that because she was essentially there to stir shit because she is a creature of flow and change because she's water. She doesn't like how Queen Mab is changing the way things are moving forward and wants to disrupt this. He goes, fuck this, I'm going back to Aunt Ambrosia, I just want to live a simple life. He runs back there, but when he gets there, he finds out that Mab has already beat him to the punch and having lost Merlin, lost her temper at Ambrosia, screamed at her and she died of an old lady heart attack. He gets there and says, you killed my mother and you killed Ambrosia. And she very coldly says, I didn't kill them, I just let them die. They're casualties of war and I'm trying to save my people. So he goes, fuck you, I'm only going to use my magic in an attempt to destroy you. I'll never use it for anything else. So Mab sort of doesn't quite lose her faith in Merlin, but also goes, I'll show you, you're going to use it for other shit. The first half of the movie is Merlin navigating the politics of the 5th to 6th century AD Britain, as different Christian kings and pagan kings battle it out over different territories. This is pre what we know of the UK as today, they're just different kingdoms battling it out. Mab manages to convince one of the kings to sacrifice Nimue to the great dragon, making him believe that that will make him win the war. What she's really doing there is trying to trick Merlin into using his magic for something other than defeating her, which is to protect Nimue from the dragon though. He manages to, but because he didn't really pay attention in magic school, she still gets hurt by this, which only makes him hate Mab even more. And half her face is Half her face from is, is burnt, burnt from it, yeah. Merlin plays politics and makes deals with other pagan gods and guides, so the Lady of the Lake, the Rock of Ages... All of the gods are the old ways who are trying to also fight Mab against what they view as petty tactics. Which again, she is trying to protect her people. He makes a deal with King Uther Pendragon to seduce Lady Agrain, who is essentially a married woman, and he says that I will put a spell on you so that you look like her husband, so that you can make love to her. Which I think we can all say is pretty unethical and well, to rape. Yeah. So my
0: issue with that is that the whole time Merlin is very pompous and very self righteous,
1: but he's a hypocrite because he is more than happy exactly. to instigate rape because well, that's what that was. I have a lot to say about this. So what he says is he's essentially wheeling and dealing. He says, you can go and be with the grain, but I want the child that will be conceived because he wants to instill in this child from day dot all the lessons he wants to. He's essentially doing a queen map. He wants a baby that he can teach to be the he's sort of he wants. He's a Exactly. Who will be King Arthur. Because the king at the time, King Uther, is he Christian or pagan? Uther, I'm pretty sure is christian now her other daughter is there Morgan, morgan Le lafay which literally is french for morgan the fairy um, who <laughs> sees all this but because she's a child and sees it with innocent eyes she knows what's going on and is mortified by it or having given up on merlin mab takes the older sister morgan lafay under her wing she falls in love with frick who is her, more, gnome, yeah, her gnome assistant her gnome assistant And magic essentially gives Morgan Le Fay everything that she wanted. It gives her beauty, it gives her a son, it gives her a family, it gives her community. And she sort of becomes the number one fan of Queen Mab and the old ways and is happy. But you've skipped a major beat, though. She is going to have a son. Oh, yeah, that's right. She seduces. So, so you need to go back because
0: when King Uther seduces Lady of she ends up dying in childbirth and she gives birth to Arthur, who will one day be King Arthur. King Arthur, Exactly. Um, And then Morgan Le Fay, who is technically Arthur's half-sister, played by Helena Bonham-Carter, who tries to have a lisp and it's obviously fake and it sounds awful. Oh my
1: goodness. Oh my goodness. Anyway, she is told that she needs to seduce her half-brother, Arthur, which she does, because the idea is that King Arthur is meant to be this pure, holy, Christian king. So... Queen Mab sees it as the more times she can perverse King Arthur and put the in the eyes of everyone, yeah. then it's going to drag him away from what Merlin is aiming him to be. So by making him lay down with his sister and conceive a child the idea is that he will be so sullied in the people's eyes and the resulting magical child will be his arch nemesis. Morgan Le Fay becomes pregnant from this and has her son Mordred who has magical strength and grows magically fast and understands that he is doing what Merlin Merlin was meant to, which is convert people back to the old ways, but in less of a compassionate way than Mab was trying to from the start, because now she's really getting desperate. Arthur is everything that Merlin wants him to be. Hey, I'm Christian King. I'm going to go look for the Holy Grail. But you know what you need to do if you're married? Give a little bit of attention to your wife. Guinevere, played by Lena Headey of Game of Thrones. I had such a crush on her as a kid the first time I saw her. Oh, she's stunning in this. so beautiful. Sleeps with Sir Lancelot, who's the knight who's meant to be put there to protect her the kingdom or offers a way looking for the holy grail exactly I won't unpack that because it's a whole other story but again it was uh, through deceit of Mav that he ended up being the one being there and this was another attempt to say hey you know your magical camelot that's meant to be all holy look at this the queen's sleeping with some dude that's meant to be righteous all of you are fucking hypocrites Merlin comes back and he's like, this is fucked. Everything I tried to build is falling apart. Mab has shown up to where Nimue is recovering in a convent and says, look, my magic can make this go away. You can look beautiful again and I can create a paradise for you and Merlin to fuck off to and live together. He can come and find you. The only thing is you guys can never leave. If he leaves, he can never come back. So Merlin goes, you are all at each other's throats. They're all battling. And Merlin's like, I give up. I'm done. He goes to be with Nimue, but when he's there, he hears that Mordred and Arthur are fighting, and they're both mortally wounded each other, but he can psychically feel it, so he goes to Arthur to rescue him, and Nimue, not wanting to stand in his way, lets him go knowing that they will never see each other again. Merlin bails on Nimue. In the end, once everything is completely in tatters, Merlin goes to confront Mab, who's at her wit's end, and then he realises, much like <laughs> the fairies in The Last Thing, the ultimate way to defeat her is to... To just forget about her and get everyone to forget about her and turn their backs on her this is the end of queen mab as they all turn away and forget her she vanishes into nothing
0: mm. the end yeah so look can i be honest yes if in the peter pan film we just reviewed if it didn't have that whole scene of i do believe in fairies i do
1: i do i probably actually wouldn't have chosen the film well see this is the because film. I, that think, film... I think the link to fairies and peter pan is very peripheral apart from tinker to Tinker Tinker Tink Tinker Tinker Tink tink, Tinker Bell Yeah But I want to know why you feel like this film wasn't appropriate for the theme It's not that it was So at the beginning of the film There's a scene
0: where all these little fairies are flying in And they're creating a bassinet for baby Merlin to sleep in and so, straight away, I was like, oh, okay, no, David has picked well. I see why he's chosen this for fairies. But then, as it went on and on and on, and when I mean on and
1: on, it does go for on and on. It's, it goes for a, three a, hours. It's an epic. And you got to think, this was groundbreaking at the time. I wouldn't use have, the word epic. But no, no, an epic because it, epic is in big. Like, we didn't have Game of Thrones to watch out. Oh, like no, of course. and dragons and stuff. But, had, to, to be honest,
0: if the theme was um, Camelot, Xca... Excalibur? Excalibur. Excalibur. If yeah, if the theme was Camelot, Excalibur, uh, Merlin, Medieval, uh, I would have chosen the film. Like, yeah, I think the first half of the film very much I get fairy. The second half of the film, it becomes more of a political look at the rise and fall of many of the pagan and Christian kings in England.
1: But I don't understand because... Queen Mab, by definition, is the queen of the fairies. The adversary in this is the queen of the fairies, and the lady of the lake is a fairy like all of these things all of these main characters are fairies I do see why Why you picked it Frick Frick is a main character Morgan Le Fay's name means Morgan the fairy Fairy? no 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 and I'm saying I do understand why you picked it I feel like it's more relevant to fairies than Peter Pan mm. because I feel like they would the way you talk about the traditional idea of fairies I feel like you know, how they came in and made the bassinet and then they're in the background a few of the scenes. Well, that's sort of how the fairies in Peter Pan are. They're there for a little bit of the plot point. And but that's why background. I said if that scene of I do believe in fairies,
0: I do and do, I do. If that scene wasn't in the film, I probably wouldn't have chosen the film. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm aware is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I can see you already getting yourself sort like... I want to just say I want to be very careful about how I talk about this film because I know it has a strong nostalgia <laughs> for you also i felt like i was negging very hard last episode about hocus pocus so i just want to be very careful about how i approach this you can be critical of it but talk about the movie can we talk about the characters yeah like of course you you talk about the characters i mean can i quickly Hold talk on, about I want
1: you to talk more you can I, you Yeah. Thought. can i yeah. quickly
0: talk about queen Maeve? yes okay so a few things what I don't understand is that she is this powerful sorceress. I know she's a fairy, but for me, I viewed her more as a sorceress. And it was funny because she was spending majority of the film waiting for a baby to be born, then to grow up, and then kind of be a bit of a stage mum and try to live her dreams through the child and hope that the child convinces people to believe again. But I was like, honey, You're powerful, why don't you just go and start your own empire and you rule over this kingdom. You have the power to do it, make it happen. And then in the end, what defeats her is a bunch of old men turning around and being like, la la la, we're ignoring you. Not to mention the actress, Jesus Christ, I feel so bad because I'm an actor myself and I feel really bad when you're critiquing other people's art and other people's creations. But by golly gosh, Miranda Richardson, what were you thinking? She was doing this weird rip-off Gollum voice. Did this come out before Lord of the Rings or after Lord of the Rings? This
1: came out... It would be
0: before because this was 1998, so before. But the voice was like, this is literally how she spoke the whole entire film. Merlin, what... What are you doing? It was awful. It was awful. It sounded- and and this isn't just her. For some reason, it was a majority of the actors in this. They honestly sounded like they all had a serious concussion. Like, the way they spoke, I was like, why are you
1: talking? so oh, slow. Wait, it's called a British accent. Um, no. I, I feel like if your first point about why doesn't Queen Mab rule, it's like Queen Mab can't rule the mortal realm. She's not a human and she can only exist if people worship her. So she needs someone with one foot in the human world to bring people back to that faith because they needed to worship her for her to exist. She couldn't live in a castle and rule over humans because she's not human. She needed someone to convince everyone to keep worshipping her because that's what gives her strength and she needed a person to do that which is why she needed a champion like him to create that so you liked her vocal choices i see this is the interesting thing i don't know because i've because it's so nostalgic as a kid that's yeah. so sort of part of the character if i watch it now it probably drives me insane but it drives me insane. because it's so embedded and seems like such a character choice i'm like oh no i get it like i understand it's also someone who's losing their visibility of course her voice is becoming a rasp and a whisper as she's sort of fading like we're given the impression that this is a goddess at the very end of her existence, because she's fading away to nothing. Well, I wish it ended sooner,
0: because (laughs) it went for three fucking hours of this, Merlin, listen to me. Merlin, what are you doing? Merlin. So whose performance did you like? Well, I liked Sam Neill, who played Merlin. He was very seamless in the role. And then also Billy Whitelaw, who played Aunt Ambrosia. She was also really, really good. She was believable, but the rest of the acting across the board, Jesus Christ, like, even I was really shocked by Helena Bonham Carter. The lisp that she was putting on was obviously fake, and...
1: Of course it's fake, she's an actress, <laughs> like... Yeah, but she didn't act it very well, is what I'm saying. Um, what did you think of the design? Like, what did you think of the aesthetic of this film? David, look, the only
0: thing I like about that this film is, aside from the two actors I just mentioned that did a good job was the soundtrack. The soundtrack did a good soundtrack job. soundtrack was
1: good. You didn't enjoy the Lady of the Lake with the fish swimming around her neck and as she got weaker there were less fish until there was just one. I loved the design. You know, do you know who Alan Lee is? No. He's an illustrator who did a lot of the concept art for Lord of the Rings but he does like these, you know, gorgeous castle, misty mythological pictures that are quite sensual but also enchanting. He did the design for this which is... I mean also keep in mind that we watched this on YouTube where the quality wasn't Well, I didn't watch it on YouTube. What did you watch
0: it on? DVD. So, I'm guessing HD was better than this. Yeah, a lot better. He's yeah, like yeah, crisp, yeah. So, super crisp. Yeah, so maybe that's what made this viewing very even more tedious. But yeah, the only thing I liked about this film was l- lit- was literally the soundtrack, and then I guess the very opening sequence where Merlin is traveling on the horse and he's right, run- and the horse is running on this All sand with water. like shallow water, and then there's the castle in the background. I was like, but wow, did you like that bit
1: where he's walking across that bit to Avalon, and then like Queen Mab is talking back, and the, the water rises around him. Yeah, look. Th-
0: Even um, actually, I do want to give a quick mention. Who was the very first king in the film? What was his name? When what's his name? Was it King Vordigan? Yeah, Vordigan
1: was the. Oh, well, you, do, he's not the first king, but Vordigan was one of the main kings. Yeah, one, but, but he was the first one presented yeah, in. Yeah, the, the, the one who couldn't build the castle. Because and that's he, by Rutger Hewer. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Famous.
0: Shout out to him because he played one of the CEO of Wayne Enterprises in Batman Begins, two thousand
1: and five. Oh, so as soon goody, as I saw him, I was like, oh my goodness, Woody Gumdrops. I just want to make sure that I got that fact right. It is, it is funny because my um, pet peeve about Peter Pan having an American accent. I love he, how he's the one actor in this who decided to keep his american accent it's just like <laughs> oh
0: yeah true i just want to make sure i got the right actually yes I do I do have the right actor oh and he was in Blade Runner of course oh yeah no he's very famous a Dutch actor I honestly I didn't realise that the story of Merlin was full of debauchery affairs and incest I had no clue so when I watched this I was like wow I I liked watching it from the perspective of it was kind of like a history lesson I was not a history lesson because it's all folklore but it was interesting to
1: learn things about the the fiction of Merlin because again at the end of the day it's in a culmination of so many like there's parts of the Mabinogion that are now part of the Arthurian legend like it's such a mush up of things. Why not turn it into something else? But you could tell whoever wrote it was passionate about it. Yeah, it was... <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed it as well. Like, I think they could have done it in less of a rudimentary way. But you really did... There were a lot of insight into the female characters and their motivations in here. Like, you know, Aunt Ambrosia, Mab, Lady of the Lake, Nimue, Morgan Le Fay. You see what drives them and through their perspectives and how they're being motivated. Where the men are just running around swinging their swords and their dicks. There are these people that are thinking bigger picture because at the end of the day as well Mab who is framed to be the enemy she is trying to save her people and herself from extermination by things changing Merlin is purely motivated by revenge of what at the end of the day is, as Mab said, it may sound cruel, but like nature, she didn't kill his mom. She let her die. And that's the biggest sin in his eyes that she did. So he's trying to destroy her and everyone that's associated with her and even uses her people against her. He's pro all of the Christian Kings, but when he needs an ally, he goes to the lady of the lake. He goes to the stone of time. He goes to all of these things that are tied back into the old ways and uses them against the person who's trying to save them. So he's kind of an anti-hero to me and I see that Mab is someone who bites dirty but that's because she's trying to save her people Mm -hmm. and that brings out the uglier side of people.
0: Yeah definitely you because you have the nostalgia attached I think you're giving this film a deeper complexity than what the actual creative team behind it gave it. It's very simplistic the storyline even the dialogue it's almost like a 12 year old (laughs) wrote it and I feel like for a story so simple it did not need to go for three hours. I honestly had to watch this film in three different increments. I watched it in three Did different you, days. You, it was funny? And it just went on and on. And there was no valleys or peaks in the film. There was no climax. That It wasn't exciting at all to watch. I felt like I was sitting down and I was like, when is this going to fucking end? I
1: think that, though, you've kind of got... I think because we're from different generations, you do suffer a bit from, like, pop music syndrome. Like, movies have to go for an hour and a half and they need to have the certain beats. Like...
0: David... A film that I absolutely adore and you hated was Manchester by the Sea. That is a very slow, long film. I don't think that statement's very fair. I, even Solaris, I like, I probably liked Solaris more than you did, and it was a three hour slow burn. I, I, I think because of your nostalgia attached, you're giving this movie more than what it actually
1: I, is. I also think because ways of making TV and film have changed, I think, digesting stuff like this. This is, some. I was listening to someone talk about it today, because what what other people's opinions, and someone said this either needed to be much shorter, or it needs- it needed to, to be a lot shorter. No, or it needed to be much longer. They're like, we want a prologue to what's happening with Mab and like, you know, like the, the pagans and the Christians. Well, yeah, and then, maybe, then, maybe then the,
0: it did need to then, be longer to flesh into, out yeah, the characters. Like, make
1: it into a mini-series, like a long mini-series where it's like, and now there's the introduction of Merlin and him growing up, and then there's the bit where he's learning magic, and then there's the bit where, you know, the first bit of the movie, and then there's the bit like, it's like, really stretch it out so you get invested in each chunk, because it does cover a lot of ground it's
0: very, super the fast. Film, look, I'm going to say it as it is. The film is very plot-driven. The Characters are very one-dimensional because they're used as plot devices. They're, no- they're nothing more than a plot device. Their most fleshed-out character is, I guess, Merlin, but then all the other characters, there's just not much depth to them at all. They're just there, and things happen. One thing I do find funny is, do you remember when we watched The Black Cauldron? Yeah. You didn't like the character of Princess Only. No, she's a fucking moron. Because you thought that she came across like she had a head concussion. And so when I was watching this film, I was like, how dare... David, because most of these characters are speaking as if they've had a head concussion.
1: But then by that logic, so does Mrs. Darling, where she's just sitting in a chair most of the time, no, staring at a window that, that's going not like, fair. my baby. No, that's not fair. Baby's
0: dribbling down Gabe, the side of face. That is really not.
1: Dribbling from where her special kiss goes. <laughs>
0: I don't know. And already right at the beginning of the film, where Merlin, he is saving Lady Ambrosia from, is that her name, Ambrosia? No, he's saving Nimue. Oh, sorry, yeah, Merlin recounts to his Aunt Aunt Ambrosia, he's saving Nimue from the swamp. He's saving her from drowning. He could save her from drowning, but he couldn't save this film. Midway through the film, a young Arthur says to Merlin that he is bored while being tutored, and that is exactly how I felt during the whole movie. It's not even cinema because it's (laughs) trash, and I feel bad saying that because I know you have the nostalgia attached to this, but this is not a good film in any sense. I honestly, it was so hard to get through this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is literal horseshit, David. You're mean, I hate you. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, you carry on, because I actually have nothing left to say about this movie. Get the jar. Get the jar, already? Um, You're done already? I'm sick of of watching you jizzle over. You still have more things you probably want to talk about. No, I'm
1: done. I'm tired. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Mm. No.
0: No, I'm looking at your notes. Mm. What are those highlights?
1: They're stuff that um, I feel like you're just gonna roll your eyes if I talk about. Just to get the jar. talk about it. We have hardly spoken about this film. I know, but we've talked for an hour and a half, so we this is gonna be hard to edit down. Go get the jar. Why don't you say something while I go get the jar? Something you'd like
0: to close with about this hallmark three-hour film.
1: I think that Quaid has killed a bunch of fairies with his hate, and I think that everyone is going to have to sit at home clapping and saying that they do to try and reignite the magic in their lives that he's extinguished with his humbugger. Yeah,
0: but you didn't ask me what I liked about
1: the film, what I didn't like about the film. I did. What do I like about the film? The
0: soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. You're you're just being a closed-off individual. Oh, wait, we don't need the glass. Oh, that's right. So do you want to make... you make the announcement.
1: Next week, we have a special guest that we're going to surprise
0: you with. Anyway, I'm sorry that I was negging on this film very hard, and I hope I haven't brought down the mood of this podcast as we near the end of the episode. I mean, we are right at the end of the episode. Is there anything closing you'd like to say, David, other, th- other than fuck you, Quaid?
1: No, no, no.
0: You're entitled How, to your opinion. Uh, we, actually, can we please give our star rating for this film? Sure. You go first. I'm going to give it a four and fuck you. Oh, uh, you know what, David? <laughs> you can go fuck yourself. Giving this, really, you really going to give this a four? I give it a 0.5 bit. (laughs) Because it is awful. And I hated every bit.
1: Spoken like a true traitor to the fairies. (laughs) Why don't you go hang out with your Jesus? (laughs) Oh my god.
0: Okay, well, um... This is David Charles Collins. You and can follow him at David Charles Collins on Instagram. And <laughs>
1: uh, this is Quaid Kirchner. You can follow him at Quaid Kirchner on Instagram. But
0: this podcast isn't about us. It's about Cinephile Parody. So, so please follow us on Cinephile Parody. So, where we post exclusive behind the scenes content for the movies that we review, and also our favorite quotes. Yes, yeah,
1: screenshots we've downloaded off the internet. <laughs>
0: It takes a lot more than screenshots that I download from the internet. I have to curate this thing. Otherwise, it looks like dog shit, like Merlin
1: 1998. Oh my god, you're a monster. You're an absolute monster. Alright, we'll see you all next week. Bye. 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 Cinephile Paradiso is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land.